Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And welcome to heaven for the final time. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast-type situation through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, and I am packing up my smalls. And upping the rock-hard hairy bloke quota, I am Ash Versus. Well, someone needs to. This episode aired on the 18th of January 1996, Virtual Fighter 2 and Donkey Kong Country 2 topped the console charts, Michael Jackson's Earth Song is still top of the pops, and Seven is your UK box office number one. I think we've said most everything we can say about Seven last week. I don't think there was anything particular we were going to discuss, was there? The only thing I was going to mention is the interesting cast choices, because there are, like, there's lots of rumour and innuendo about, like, you know, who could have played the roles that uh, eventually were played by Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt. Lots of names being thrown around, but a lot of, like, things on wikipedia that are not sourced however a couple of them that are sourced is that fincher wanted ned Beatty to play um john doe which eventually went to kevin spacey michael stipe has said that he was also approached to play that role which we talked about last week but for the role of uh mills the two names that turned down the role and they've said this in interviews were denzel washington and sylvester stallone now denzel washington Sure. Makes sense. Yeah. Like, like solid choice for a lot of things. Sly Stallone. In 1995. Hmm. I mean, he'd probably have had to have given up Judge Dredd. <laughs> well, sometimes you do have to make these calls in life. Yeah. It would have been a tragic loss to no one. <laughs> Uh, well, Ash, it is the final episode of a series, which means, as is tradition, but not as always tradition... I do have myself a... 
a little brewski to celebrate. Ah, see, the thing is, annoyingly, I think if we'd recorded this when we originally hoped to, I would have joined you in a beer, but I'm back on the wagon again. So I'm joining <laughs> you for a beer in my mind. That is absolutely fine. Uh, crack one open at home if you are able to, unless, of course, you are listening to this when it first gets released at half past six in the morning, in which case, probably have a cup of coffee instead. Hair of the dog. Looking at the TV news, it's the end of an era here for Games Master. We are leaving heaven, but it was also the end of an era for The Big Breakfast, as on the 12th of January, Gabby Roslin presented her final edition of The Big Breakfast after three years co-presenting the show, weeping live on air. And she's replaced a few days later on the 15th of January by Zoe Ball. As the Battle of Newbury enters its fourth day, contractors on the controversial bypass are hoping to begin work, but they face more clashes with anti-road protesters who claim victory for three consecutive days. Now the weather, most of England and Scotland will be bright and breezy. The west will see most of today's rain. Average temperatures around 9 degrees centigrade. And the weekend outlook, the west will be cloudy with occasional rain, and the east mainly dry and bright. That's it from us. Have a great weekend. Peter, thanks very much for everything. She said goodbye. She wants to goodbye. Do you want to have one last like, chat to Pete Smith? See you, Peter. Pete. <gasps> Pete Wait. Smith! Beta. Come on down. <laughs> come on, Pete. You'll come to the do tomorrow night. You'll be there to do Pete! Somebody. Oh, oh where's Peter? Not there. Oh. Not there. Not there. It is. Will I leave you alone on your last day? No way. <laughs> she is totally gone. Dead Rosalind's last it, day. Lil? I, logically, I knew there were at least two eras of The Big Breakfast. I certainly remember Gabby Roslin presenting it because, of course, she started it with Chris Evans and that was how they got kicked off. And also, I definitely remember Zoe Ball presenting The Big Breakfast. But at no point did my brain pass that one of them left for the other to get at the role. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's lots of different eras of the Big Breakfast, and these zoos all sort of merge into one for me. No, I sort of like just combine a lot of it, like particularly the way the set looks and everything like that. But yeah, I mean, she she obviously she started with Chris Evans. She continued on with his replacement, Mark Little. And the most interesting fact that I kind of saw, and it was on Wikipedia about her kind of time on the show, is that in her last year on the show, she fronted the National Egg Awareness Campaign. Now, this is a Wikipedia entry that says, citation needed. <laughs> but I want to believe. We always want to believe. They say that all good things must come to an end. Though, strictly speaking, that's not true. El Dorado, Scavengers and the Second World War, they all ended and they were cack. Today, however, we're packing our smalls as this groundbreaking fifth series of Games Master grinds to a halt. Today, though, we'll endeavour to pump so much fun up your arteries that the following Games Master free months will leave your emotions intact. Well, Ash, like El Dorado, Scavengers and the Second World War, bad things have to come to an end, even the good things. Like this podcast, both a bad and a good thing. Yes, uh, I hope that Donnie Diamond doesn't think that this is cack, though. It is sort of endorsed by the man. Sort of, kind of, maybe. Who knows? Uh, but we are here to pump fun up your arteries for the final episode of Series 5. A great little line there. Because it's got so many different meanings and there is just the right amount of pause between the word up your and arteries. I even think there's a little pause, yeah, between R and Therese. Yeah, because, you know, Luke, 
They could say that they're going to stick something up our ass, but they're not. They're talking about arteries. Yeah, I mean, it's, this is a, a wholesome show here at Half Past Six on Channel 4. Absolutely wholesome. Although I am a bit worried about the state of their smalls, because some of those smalls they're packing look just like chunks of cloth. You'd have thought they'd have just gone out and bought some pants. Just like, you, use some of the budget you've got and just go out and just buy some pants. They probably did, and Don probably saw them and went, oh, I'm having those, I'm having those. <laughs> they, they all disappeared into his dressing room because he does like a pant. But thankfully, Ash, you know, this is the final episode, but so we're going to have uh, some news here to kick things off with exclusive looks at some arcade games. Just for a laugh, we thought we'd finish the series with an exclusive look at some of the biggest games in the pant line, and of course the place they'll be appearing first is in the arcades. Fans of the combo are in for a chop-licking treat later in the year when Killer Instinct 2 makes its way arcadewards. The sequel features new characters like the spiky brief-wearing Tusk and old characters have had a little bit of a makeover, with Orchid having more bouffant hair. The gameplay has been improved too. Extra moves include Sabrewolf's Somersault Kick, and Orchid has an updated helicopter move. The biggest innovation, though, is a special move feature underneath the energy bar that rewards attacking play with some extra moves. But of course, it wouldn't be Killer Instinct without the combos, and the game certainly delivers on this count. This is an early version of the game, and there's a wee bit of a glitch when the action speeds up, but copper feel of new character Kim's devastating 49-hit combo. Easy go. I fucking love this line of like Dom's like, oh yeah, we're gonna look at some upcoming games and where will they be appearing first? The arcade, of course. And I'm like, of course, that will last for at least another six months. Yeah, and actually the first one we're kicking things off with, Killer Instinct 2, is like, you know, because we had that big Killer Instinct challenge earlier on in the season, and then the big SNES review of it as well. So we had that kind of almost like a Killer Instinct special way back when. This feels like a really nice way to cap off Series 2 by being like, and by the way, there's a new version of Killer Instinct coming out very soon. And I've talked about this a little bit already when I had Ketchup on the show for that bonus episode that we did. And I felt like a little bit of a smarty pants when I was writing up my notes for it because I was saying like, oh, you can even see the enders are on screen there, the little countdown things. And then Dom just brings it up and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, so it's... I thought I could be a real smarty pants and bring this up on the podcast, but nope, Dom just out there, just outright said it. Yep, it's all there, plain to be seen. Uh, interestingly, compared to the first Killer Instinct, this was actually made by a very small development team by comparison. And actually, they started work on it pretty much as soon as uh, Killer Instinct 1 had wrapped up. And they didn't rest on their laurels, but nor did they reinvent the wheel. They kind of just looked at what they'd achieved in Killer Instinct 1 and went, right, how do we tighten this up? Uh, The first thing they did was they kind of nuked defensive play. They basically made that less appealing because they thought, you know, if you have too strong a defensive play mechanic, it's going to make it too difficult for new players to get access to. Basically, they can end up against a hardcore dedicated player and it just it's not fun because not only can they not even stand a chance of winning, but they can't even get any decent offense in. So that was kind of the first big thing they did. They kind of nuked the defense play and made aggressors be the more rewarding. Uh, uh, While they used the same hardware as the predecessor, they did completely kind of redesign the characters because this is a proper sequel in that the story of the first game, because the first game did have a story, 
it follows on. So they redesigned the characters to reflect the changes that would have occurred to them during that first game. And a number of new characters joined them as well. It featured a total of 11 playable characters with Black Orchid, Fulgore, Glacius Jago, Saberwolf, Spinal and TJ Combo all returning from the previous title. Uh, as we kind of talked about in that um, bonus episode uh, a few weeks back, we will get to see this again next series. Uh, it is the, the Nintendo 64 version, but we do get to see Killer Instinct 2 again. I think it's a bit cheeky here to have Time Crisis though, because that was reviewed a couple of weeks ago. This is not brand, this is not news, Dominic Diamond. Arcade giant Namco are putting the finishing touches to two new titles. The Virtua Cop style shoot em up Time Crisis, featuring the innovative dodge out of the way of flying bullets function and their Soul Edge, the first polygon beat-em-up since last week. I mean, he does mention the duck pedal, which is nice because that's one of the kind of key implementations in Time Crisis is the ability to kind of like take cover. But yeah, this is not news. And I just had, I just had the note of like, huh, this is in news, but we reviewed it five episodes ago. Yep. Oh, well. Ooh, more from Namco. Cool. Yeah, Soul Edge which we also had in the news a couple of weeks ago. Episode 8. Wow, was it that long ago? Bloody hell, 10 episodes ago. I I think it was episode 8. I hope it was episode 8, but I just remember the line of kind of like it being Tekken cuddling Battle Arena Toshinden, which I thought was a wonderful way of describing it to people who would only just be familiar with the first two concepts. I think the most interesting thing about this little piece here, kind of compare what dom says here to what he has been saying for the majority of series five look at this the final episode of series five and what does he say about soul edge here it's the first polygon fighter since last week already dom is starting to get sick and tired of this genre yeah i mean to be honest i think he'd had it up to here with his virtue of fighters but speaking of Virtua Fighters... Sega, meanwhile, are filling the gap before Virtua Cop 3 with Fighting Vipers, a beat-em-up involving young fashion victims wielding guitars and skateboards, slugging it out in a cage-like arena. Brilliant to see Fighting Vipers here. Fighting Vipers here, which is built on the same engine as Virtua Fighter, also developed by AM2, and essentially is, okay, can we make a fighting game for Western audiences? Because this, in its both style and execution and location, is more targeted at a western audience um it was released in the arcade in 1995 it used the same hardware as uh, virtua fighter 2 i believe and of course was released on the sega saturn uh did eventually get released on the playstation network and the xbox live arcade in 2012 but for the most part it was a platform exclusive and we get a review of that platform exclusive next series in episode two. Interestingly, despite the fact that it was more targeted at Western audiences, it kind of bombed in North American arcades. I think it's, it's a saturated market by that point. Like, you know, I, it's kind of what Don was saying about Soul Edge. Like, these fighters are almost 10 a penny at this point. One thing I do want to mention, because it's something we won't see when we talk about the Saturn review, unless they're reviewing the Japanese version, is... There was a lot of product placement in this game in Japan. Sega had a big old sponsorship deal with Pepsi. That's right, one of the characters in the game was Pepsi Man. Pepsi Man! Also notable is a lot of the other characters are definitely influenced by other things outside of video games, including one character. I feel really bad because I had her name up earlier and I forgot it, but there is one character that is essentially Vasquez from Aliens. Like, not just a case of, oh, it's quite a tough female. It's like, no, it literally looks like Vasquez from fe- uh, from Aliens. And then weirdly, when she appeared in Fighting Vipers 2, 
she'd become fair-skinned and blonde. Very, very odd. I don't know if that was because maybe they got a bit of a cease and desist. I've just double-checked. Her name was Jane, but I've just sent you a picture on WhatsApp. Oh, yeah, 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 100%. Yeah, yeah apparently yeah, yeah. She, she works on a building site in Fighting Vipers World, although she wanted to be a Marine. I was going to say, no, she does not work on a construction site. She is a colonial Marine. Yeah, but no, in the storyline of Fighting Vipers, she wanted to be a Marine, but got turned down. But we will get to talk about this game later because, as you mentioned, it's reviewed next series. And I'm going to make sure I've played it ahead of time because Pepsi Man is a Sega Saturn exclusive. But Sega's biggest title of 1996 looks set to be Max TT, which does for motorbikes what Genghis Khan did for fights. Past astride an alarmingly convincing articulated bike, players race around an exact replica of the Isle of Man's famous race course. All of these games will be appearing in arcades over the next few months and on home versions by the end of the year, which is December for stupid people. Moving away from fashion victims with breakaway armour, um, we've got Manx TT Superbike, which I think just Dominic introduces here as Sega TT or Sega Superbike or something. Because, I mean, this is based on the Isle of Man TT uh, race course. It is an arcade machine, although it was later ported to the Sega Saturn and indeed Microsoft Windows. But this could be an eight-player simultaneous motorbike racing game. This basically offered the same level of uh, kind of expandability as Daytona USA. And worth mentioning is the physical bike itself. This is an advancement of the bike that Sega used for the game Hang On. And it basically played into the idea of using body weight more to steer than just a traditional steering mechanic. And it was insanely sensitive to the point where it actually was kind of like you know that the level of sensitivity was about on par with a real bike because if you lean too quickly on a real motorbike you're going arse over tea kettle and skidding down the road and this game would replicate those physics quite well it's slightly unique in that whilst it was a major success in arcades across the world when it came to porting it to the saturn sega farmed it out to an external developer which was seen as quite controversial as well not even just using an external developer but using one that had zero zilch nadder experience of porting arcade machines and I, it was trust that was well placed in the end because the the sega saturn port was very well received when it came out absolutely it was like it was a major it wasn't even just well received it was quite a financial success as well it kind of hit the critical and financial notes although sadly as we've established not enough to save the platform i mean as well you mentioned that the uh the arcade was insanely sensitive it was also insanely expensive it was about 15 grand or like twenty three thousand dollars per unit yeah i mean there weren't going to be many places outside of kind of the major arcades outside of the major kind of like city arcades that you were even going to get close to experiencing the full eight player experience um they did kind of try and offer a little bit of a gimme to the people that did invest in it because a few years later uh, an upscale conversion kit was released that kind of allowed them to turn manx tt superbike into motor raid which was essentially another motorbike racing game but with futuristic bikes so basically kind of like that namco game from the other week or akira yeah, like cyber cycles yeah yeah but apparently this game is going to do for motorbikes what genghis khan did for fights well speaking of fights and um perhaps some fight music let's hear from this week's celebrity now because it's the final show we don't want any namby famby soft celebrity guests coming on instead we're upping the quotient of rock hard hairy blokeness as we welcome Iron Maiden's own axe man, Yannick Gers. For 
best rock and roll star we've ever had in heaven. Well, well I have to say. Rock and roller. Yeah. Now listen, yeah, Yannick, first of all, you're taking a break just now from your world tour uh, that you're on. Is there still a large groupie element these days? Large groupies. Large uh, groupies even that are like 20 stone? I think the groupies are rather large, yeah. <laughs> we don't get groupies on this show. I don't get any at all. We've got two beautiful angels. Well, exactly. I don't need them. That's, yeah. that's very well pointed out, Yannick. I was nearly in trouble there uh, from the girls. And the other thing is, I always wanted to be a rock and roll star, but I never had the hair, you know? Well, you could grow it. If I had like 20 years to kill, then I might be able to get it to your epic uh, proportions there. Why is it then that, that so many uh, proper rock stars have long hair? Uh, probably because in normal society you've got to cut your hair and fit in. Yeah. So when you get the chance not to fit in, it's good to do something a little bit different. And never, never gets caught in the guitar strings or anything like that? Yeah, I've been caught a few times. <laughs> just snip them bits off and yeah. carry on. Oh, I like that. Hair from this week's celebrity. Very good. Because this is a hairy hairy man it's yannick gers guitarist well one of three guitarists from iron maiden right so i think this will come as no surprise to anyone who has listened to this podcast a lot iron maiden is not a band for me i am not in that hair metal scene i can appreciate the music output of iron maiden it's just not my cup of tea and, and it's not what i would sit down to listen to I've seen them live a couple of times um through reading festival and, and you know that festival sort of things yeah, not my sort of band, but he seems like a very nice chap. I, I am an Iron Maiden person. I think we've established this in the past because I think you mentioned seeing them at Reading and them not being your cup of tea and me being fucking mortified. But yeah, this is Yannick, who at this point had been with Iron Maiden for a couple of years. He was basically asked to join Iron Maiden in place of Adrian Smith, who left and has been with the band ever since, still with the band today. And even when Adrian Smith rejoined Iron Maiden in 1999, he didn't get hoofed out like often happens to replacement musicians in bands. He stuck around and he's been there for at least 10 studio albums and countless tours. And he's just like a really good guitar player and a very droll, fun guy. I mean, he's bemused by everything going on around him here. And also, he is wearing the timeless rock and roll metal standard he's got the leather jacket the blue jeans the trainers and the hair the beautifully feathered hair he is the epitome of the new wave of british metal and i i don't know this for a fact but i get the impression that kirk ewing was very excited to have him on set here oh i I definitely think so, yeah. It's funny, when I was Googling Yannick Ayers earlier and I just, you know, went to his Wikipedia page, I misread one of his entries under there where it said uh, Gers was previously a member of Gillian and co-founder of the band White Spirits. And I read that at first as the White Stripes. And I was about to say, hang on a take, he was what now? Uh, no, yeah, it was White Spirit. Also, it was Gillen. Oh, okay. Again, I mean, the only other thing that popped out to me was that he was influenced by Jeff Beck who I think probably popped his head around the door to say there was a sweet shop on the edge of town. But he seems to be having... You, you mentioned earlier that he's sort of bemused by this whole uh, situation. And he does at one point say, like, you know, Dom asked the obvious questions that, you know, you're the first rock and roll star to ever be seen in heaven. And, hey, now you're a rock guy. Groupies, am I right? And he just turns around and was like, aren't these angels your groupies? Yeah, he gets Dom in trouble with the ladies there by base because Dom's like, oh, don't get groupies in heaven. But he's just, he is, Dom is fond of wordplay. We know this. So is Yannick. He, he is, he, because Dom's like, you know, oh, you know, is a, a, 
a group is still a large thing and he's what large group is like like big women you know it, although weirdly i think he was kind of talking tall mm. and dom's like oh 20 stone but no i i think he was going tall just the idea of amazonian like like the vampire lady from the latest resident evil <laughs> just like amazonian groupies which i'm sure if any band at the time was encountering amazonian groupies it was probably iron maiden and yeah then he basically goes but you've got the angels which dom is just like oh yeah i suppose so and my note on this entire exchange was oh 90s oh 90s oh woof oh 90s and hey it's a series five episode of games master and dominic diamond is the host so they get to talk about hair for one final time in this series. Start, end as you started. And the thing is, it is actually a question that I've heard asked multiple times, which is why do rock stars have long hair? Why did they grow their hair long? And the answer given is actually a fairly standard and also true one. It's non-conformity. It's a chance to go against the grain. And yes, it does sometimes get stuck in guitar strings. Hey, if I, if I still could... I probably would. But let's head on over to Dominic Diamond to find out a little bit of what he's going to be doing for today's challenge. Guffaw, if you will, but the most original and addictive game we've played all year is Quest for Fame, a rock and roll adventure that requires you to get to grips with the absurd yet strangely appealing virtual guitar, which plugs directly into your PC. Hey, that ain't the kid with the guitar! Like life itself, the action begins in your bedroom where you begin to play along to your favourite rock anthems. The bar at the bottom of the screen shows the actual guitar strokes of the song, and the object is to match them with your virtual guitar as best you can. The score on the right of the bar shows how well you're doing. Assuming you've got what it takes, it won't be long before your neighbour arrives with the kind of news every would-be guitar hero longs to hear. Man, we might have a gig. We're gonna learn some new tunes tonight at the garage, so be there. All right, let's get into it. If the rehearsal goes well that very night, we'll see you and your brain-dead buddies preparing to step on stage at local rock and roll sleaze pit, The Roadkill. Hey, all right, come on in, dudes. <laughs> Let's blow the roof off this place! Are you ready? Crank it up! Your performance at the roadkill is reflected in the reaction of the punters. When they stand still, you're making a mess of things. But when you're playing well, you'll soon have the crowd performing the kind of dance moves only Californians are capable of. Now, we're going to have to be careful with how much of this clip we put in because that's a full copyright strike coming down on us. Isn't it just, yeah, this is Quest for Fame. It's a, it's a you know... Much like a few other games that have come out around this time, it's a game based around Aerosmith and Aerosmith songs. And But really, it's Guitar Hero, but an early primordial version of Guitar Hero. I was talking with you about this before we started recording, because when I first watched this episode, like for the podcast, I saw this and I was like, how do I not know about this? Because, you know, I love me some Guitar Hero. I love me some rock band. I love rhythm games in general. Donkey Konga, um, names gone out of the head, the Japanese drum game. Mm -hmm. I know the one you mean. Everyone knows the one you mean. Everyone knows the one I mean. You know, I love rhythm-based games. They're great fun. And then as soon as I started looking it up online and I saw about the V-Pick, which is basically a virtual kind of physical but kind of like a virtual plectrum that you can play against anything by strumming it on a tennis racket because the classic air guitar idea or you know just a piece of wood or even just your thigh it's basically 
a impact sensor so you can keep time with the note as it scrolls across the bottom of the screen. And as soon as I saw the V-Pick, my brain dropped into place because I never saw this guitar thing that they're showing because that is a prototype Guitar Hero Rock Band controller, although much simpler because there were a number of different guitar trollers, there were a number of different guitar controllers, and some of them had multiple strings and some of them had just one, just literally a twang kind of string. And I think this was something I really wanted at the time but did not have a PC capable of playing it and certainly would have been told, no, that is a massive waste of money. And in fairness, despite the fact that it actually looks quite cool, it's got some very cool cartoon artwork, who I believe is done by the same artist who was behind Cool World. Uh, it's only got six songs. And, and they're all Aerosmith songs as well, so you've got to like Aerosmith. Yeah, if you like Aerosmith and you like six songs worth of Aerosmith, then you're in for a good time. It's also like if you haven't watched the episode yet either... It's not Guitar Hero in the way of you're doing the chords as well as the strumming, you know, green, red, and yellow, and all that sort of stuff. This is just strumming the plectrum in time with the guitar strums of the song. So if it's... You would do the guitar strums along with that in time, and you get point for that, and it kind of cuts to a crowd and shows them dancing or shows you how well you are doing. And it is this amazing point-and-click-style design, but it's a rhythm game. It, it, it really did actually make me want to play the game, even though I'm not the biggest Aerosmith fan in the world and I would get bored of all six songs. I, I love the style of it because it's a very 90s point-and-click adventure-style game that I really, really dig. Our virtual virtuoso must play with sufficient skill to inspire at least six members of the audience to strut their stuff in front of the stage by the end of the song. Only if six people are grooving when the final chord is played will he earn the joystick. So as Dom explains, basically what we're going to have is we've got through to the final level of this game, which is you playing in the concert area. So like you've gone through the bedroom into the garage and now you're at this phase here. So maybe this is like the third stage or, or whatever it is. And I mentioned earlier, it cuts to like, you know, from one angle where it shows you on stage and it shows your bandmates on stage to another angle, which has got the crowd dancing. And you've got to get to a certain point threshold to get them to dance. And if you're not at that point threshold, they don't dance. So it's a very, very cool mechanic. And I like that they add in as well that you've got to do it by the end of the song. So you might have them dancing at the middle of the song, but you've got to, do it, you've got to keep them there until the very end. If you get to the end of the song and only five people are dancing, that's it, challenge over. Yeah, it... Weirdly, this is a game mechanic that actually did make a comeback with Guitar Hero Live, the last Guitar Hero entry, which was also based more around full motion video than kind of pre-rendered CGI. But that was one where it would kind of cut to different crowd reactions depending on how you are playing. So it's kind of like it's a real full circle thing. Janik is going to play Eat the Rich, which is... It's a really good song. In fact, it's one of the early songs that Chris Jericho covered when he started his musical career with Fozzie. And I'm sure he did a sh job of it as well. It was a cover. But he's going to be playing that on the club level, which Kirk says, Janik is going back to his roots, playing the sort of sleazy LA club that Dominic will be well familiar with. And Dom is borderline speechless. <laughs> There's also a moment here where Kirk says, 
I mean, he could freestyle if he wants. He won't get the right amount of points, but he could freestyle if he wants to. It'll probably sound good. He's Yannick from Iron Maiden. I will let him do whatever he wants. But it's kind of amusing that he says that because we get to this first attempt, things get underway, and it ends in dismal failure. And this is what happens when most real musicians try to play Guitar Hero or Rock Band. Okay, at the bottom of the screen, you can see those bars here. It's coming in now. You can hear them there. Not a, not a terribly good start, Kurt. He's missing a couple of beats. Yeah, he's, he certainly is, and I don't think the guys in Iron Maiden would be terribly happy if he was playing like that. Oh, Fat Boy's dancing, though. Good. That's one boy dancing. Yeah, you've got a fat bloke dancing in the audience. That was you, Kurt. That wasn't actually me, Dominic. I think you'll find that was something that was much faster than me. <laughs> Possibly related to you. Okay. And uh, the band are looking quite happy. You can see the manager's face in the bottom left-hand corner, though. He's not too happy. He is and a... indeed... Again, quick! We've got to get it right! First attempt ends in fair though, of course, we are going to give him another couple of chances. Here it goes again. It is not an instruction on how to play a guitar. The worst thing you could try and do in this game is try and actually play Eat the Rich. Don't try and play the song, just follow the rhythm. Because he looks bemused when this challenge fails. Because like, what, what's, he, he, he does look like I was playing all the right notes. Not necessarily in the right order, but I was playing all the notes. I was strumming that exactly as you would do on a guitar. I should know I'm from Iron Maiden. And he just looks like, really, like, why did that fail? Why was it going on there? And you're right, it's because you're not playing a guitar here. You're playing a rhythm action game, and you've just got to follow on from that. Uh, and he gets it on the second time. But, like, let's, you know, put it out on Front Street here. He fails this challenge, and they just let him have another go. It's it's because he's a hard hairy man from Iron Maiden why wouldn't you also they do say second try let's put that in bunny ears because there is such a marked improvement on this I call bullshit on it being the second go I reckon the fifth or sixth and I reckon one of those Kirk just went over to him and be like don't play this as a guitar literally look at the little arrows on the bottom there and just follow those yeah excuse me Mr Rock God sir I don't want to tell you how to do your job but but it's okay because we do get into this party atmosphere here where Yannick finally gets the rhythm of things literally and figuratively and he starts to get it and all of a sudden they've got all six people dancing the place is going nuts for them and then we just get the song and Kirk and Dom headbanging and air guitaring like they're Beavis and Butthead well, the guy from Iron Maiden plays this song. And then Games Master appears and says, Ha ha, rock and roll! (laughs) It's fucking delightful. Ha ha, rock and roll! And he does lose his way a little bit on this second one because I think he gets a little bit too carried away because it's worth saying, if you haven't watched this yet, he isn't just standing kind of like holding a controller like a lemon, like most of us do when we're actually playing Guitar Hero or Rock Band. He has one leg up and he's got the guitar slung low and he is moving with the rhythm. He is as close to playing the guitar and being his onstage presence as he can while still mostly succeeding at the game. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And despite a few slips, he keeps it together to the end. At least six people are dancing and boom, he wins the joystick. So glad they gave him a second go because that would have been fucking embarrassing otherwise. But also, it just looks so much fun. It genuinely made me want to just grab my rock band guitar, boot up the Xbox, and just give that a crack out. Probably with some Maiden, actually, because Maiden are on there. I I was just like, oh yeah, that's why this game is so fun. They would have had to have given him a second go as well, because he failed the first one so quickly. 
that there wouldn't have been enough of an episode. Yeah, it, it would have been very, very short. And it wouldn't have had that party atmosphere that you want for the final outing for Games Master. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of glad that they kept that first try in because it actually kind of created a little bit of tension. You know, it was a little bit of artificial creation of tension because, as I said, I don't believe that was his second try. I reckon that was his fourth or fifth try. But it made it a lot of fun and really kind of like helped bring that party atmosphere together. I loved it. I, I genuinely was just grinning throughout most of this challenge. Now, listen, it was uh, at the start, things went a little bit wrong. What were some of the problems that you were having? Well, it was an Aerosmith song and I was playing an Iron Maiden tune, so it yep. didn't, didn't work. Bound <laughs> to be problems there, mixing yeah, the two. Yeah. Uh, but in the end, it, it was fine. What was it like then playing in that small club compared to like playing in the stadiums you're playing now and the atmosphere of our fantastic heaven? I think if whoever buys this plays in the club and then hopefully they get to the stadium and see the difference itself. So but you think this, this, this could well coax the, uh, the Iron Maiden Axemen of tomorrow? Definitely, definitely. It's okay. a coaxer. <laughs> I think they had to keep the first challenge in as well because Dom references it in the post-match interview where he's like, hey, you struggled at first there, but I loved Yannick's response of, it's an Aerosmith song, but I was playing it an Iron Maiden tune. That is a wonderful, wonderful answer. Oh, he's a shrewd man. He's a dry man. I, 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 I really enjoyed that. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And he is still very much amused by everything going on around him. He's also very happy to get the joysticks. And as he says, I win the Angels as well. 90s, Luke. Oh, the 90s. First up, run around attempting to save the lives of eight forms of rare butterflies using only a copy of Umberto Eco's Name of the Rose. Yes, you guessed it. It's Assault Rigs on the PlayStation. It's a bit of a battle tank game. You drive around in a texture map tank, shooting baddies that look like they've come straight out of Star Fox on the Super Nintendo, and the whole thing lacks imagination and lacks polish. I found it very boring. What did you think, Rick? Well, I think there is some gameplay hidden in its shabby exterior. It looks terrible, but it kind of plays okay. If you link two PlayStations together, you have a two-player mode where you can both shoot each other. It's all just a thin veil over a game that is sadly lacking in any excitement. I'm not impressed, and I wouldn't encourage anyone to go out and buy this without trying it first in the shop. First up here in the reviews, and we've got Assault Rigs on the PlayStation with Dave Perry talking about its lacking imagination and polish it's um yeah it's assault rigs on the playstation i mean if you can't license tron you make assault rigs because it looks a lot like tron doesn't it just i'm amazed they didn't mention tron i'm amazed there wasn't a dig at tron because for <sighs> me this looks like tron could be that they just do not remember tron how can they not remember tron luke greetings programs because it's the 90s and it's cool in the 90s now. That's 80s and lame. I'm still cool. <laughs> well, it's all right, because come the 2000s, the 80s becomes cool again. Yeah, but I like the 90s in the 2000s. Yeah, well, you know, we're on that 20-year cycle. And everything just... Every, what was once old is new again. I don't understand fashion. But anyway, I also don't understand Assault Rigs, because unfortunately, it is a bit cack. Um... Dave is pretty damning of it, saying it's a battle tank type game. You drive around, you shoot baddies. There's no imagination, no polish. I struggled to disagree with him on that one. Uh, Rick is kind of like, well, no, 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 there is kind of like some good nuggets of corn under the turd, kind of a bit. You can it looks terrible. PlayStations together. Yeah, it looks terrible, but it plays okay, maybe. And Dave is just like, nope, I refuse to be swayed. Do not buy this unless you try it in the shop first. The What I do like about this review is we didn't 
get as much of this in series five as I was expecting, which was the back and forth between Dave and Rick. Like Dave says here, I didn't like this game, but what did you think, Rick? And then Rick comes in and gives his point of view here. We get it like, you know, it's here in the final episode. I'm pretty sure we had it early doors as well. The rest of Series 5 has just been more of them just giving their thoughts on things. Yeah, I do like it. I mean, they do they do it twice here. They do it with the next game as well. Uh, one thing worth noting, there isn't much worth noting about Assault Rigs. It's not a game of particular note. It was developed and published by Sognosis, who are very, like, kind of, they were pumping a lot of games out for the PlayStation early doors. Um, the game itself is kind of meta and also kind of predictive because the game takes place in the future where real sport has been overtaken in favour of virtual sports, the most popular of which is Assault Rigs, a tank simulator set inside a 3D virtual environment. So there's where your Tron ripoff comes on, because the game isn't meant to be set in the real world, it is itself set inside a simulation, but with the framing of being a virtual sport of the future. That is cleverer than this game deserves. So yeah, 66% there for Assault Rigs, which is not as good as our next game. Like Eddie Izzard, the X-Men is a very overrated comic, but they do have their own game on the Saturn, while Eddie Izzard doesn't. X-Men. You have all the characters from all the X-Men comics, and they just go hell for leather against each other. But it's a 2D beat-em-up, which I'm not normally that keen on. So let's see what Dave, the beat-em-up expert, really thinks. There's the capacity for big combos. There are huge special moves. It reminds me a bit of, of Tur Turtles Tournament Fighters on the SNES in its quirkiness, but it's a lot, lot faster and a lot, lot more exciting. This is worth checking out. This is cartoon scrapping at its best. hell huge slam on eddie Izzard out of nowhere there bloody hell mate well i know that is the only thing i do not like about this review but i, I mean i like what comes after this because we got more of that wonderful 3d versus 2d dynamic but yeah poor old eddie and he, i mean at this time hmm, we're on the cusp of definite article if not it's just come out and i'll be honest definite article for me was the the Izzard video that just kind of really blew my mind and just made me fall in love with the with with eddie as a comedian and i remember i remember so much of the set i also remember the vhs case it came in because it was a cardboard vhs case quite a slimline case which was rare at the time but on the front eddie was wearing kind of a velvet jacket kind of thing like a really really luxurious velvet jacket and the front of the video case over the jacket was flocked, so the case was strokeable. And that just sticks in my mind. But I remember getting that video, and I remember that video being very, very popular um, at school. A lot of people borrowing that. And so, yeah, so ease off. Ease off, Eddie. Ease off, Eddie. Yeah. They've got a long career ahead of them. And also, X-Men is a very good comic. It is. There was a kind of a double slam out of nowhere. But X-Men is also... A very, very good game. This is Capcom using the CP system to 
The game had been out a while, actually. It came out in 1994 in Japan, but this is the Sega Saturn port. And, oh, God, it's so good. Oh, it's so much fun. I love this game so much. I'm a huge, huge fan of Children of the Atom. And it is Capcom with the kings of the 2D fighter in my eyes because of not just Street Fighter, but also this Marvel superheroes. And then when we get to X-Men versus Street Fighter, Marvel versus Capcom, like this whole series of these games, Darkstalks and all that. For me, I know that SNK are probably untouchable really for the hardcore gamers. But for me, I was all about that Capcom lifestyle. And this was one of my faves of the era. I loved playing this around my mate's house on the Sega Saturn. And when I got my Sega Saturn many years later, this was one of my first purchases for it. And I played it a lot in emulation as well. And this actual you know, review is, again, kind of fascinating because it's a bit like Golden Axe, the jewel we had earlier this series, which is Rick Henderson talking about, hmm, a 2D beat-em-up in this day and age, and Dave Perry being the one flying the flag for 2D fighters, being like, no, 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 2D fighters are still good because it's all about the gameplay. And it's funny, when I had um, Ketchup on the show a couple of weeks back, we were talking about this. I can't remember if this ended up in the final episode or not, if I, if I cut it, because we kind of went off on a tangent, about Games Master, you know, Games Master's sort of stance on this. And he was like, it's comments like that that have aged very poorly because really when you start like what the games that have stood to the test of time have tended to be those 2d fighters from this era as opposed to the early 3d polygonal polygonal games yeah i mean there are a few very notable exceptions soul edge is one of them but even of the tekken series tekken 3 to me is the best of the first three tekken games you won't get me going back to the original tekken much the first Virtua Fighter is Bobbins. Yeah, I mean, Virtua Fighter, Remac, Virtua Fighter Remix, slightly less Bobbins, but I'm still terrible at it. Mm-hmm. Um, this game did introduce a number of different features and refined a couple, including various kind of like tactical maneuvers, uh, rolling. Also did introduce the multi-tiered fighting environments, the idea you could break through into upper or lower levels. Very, very cool stuff. Now, we're talking about the Saturn version here. There was also a PlayStation version. The PlayStation version was not as well received because it suffered from slowdown. It was missing a lot of animation. But that doesn't mean that the Saturn version was perfect because it didn't have enough memory. The PlayStation didn't. The 3DO didn't. But X-Men Children of the Atom was a big old game. It was a big old game with a lot of very, very rich and detailed animation. And as a result, the Saturn version only had a third of the animation of the arcade version. It was enough, but it wasn't arcade perfect by any stretch of the imagination. No, the Sega's, the Saturn's big advantage over the PlayStation version is the fact that you can have that memory card with extra memory on it that can sort of like bump the game up a little bit and make it run a lot smoother the playstation doesn't have the playstation is literally what you've got saturn had that option to kind of boost up your saturn back to the review now rick's like you know all the characters going hell for leather not a 2d beat-em-up guy what does dave he's our beat-em-up expert what does he think i mean it'll be no way of the warrior but you know what does dave perry think and dave bigs up the combos he bigs up the gameplay he bigs up the moves he compares it to turtles tournament fighter on the snes and i think he makes that comparison because They're both cartoons. Like, you know, yes, it's a comic book series. At this point in time, though, X-Men is probably in the mainstream predominantly known as the the cartoon series that's on the BBC, on on CBeebies and whatnot. So that's probably why he's comparing the two together. 
both of them based on cartoon licenses. Now, I think we've discussed before, I'm quite a fan of Tournament Fighter. I'm really looking forward to the Cowabunga collection, which is coming out soon. I'm not delusional. X-Men Children of the Atom is a way better fighting game than Tournament Fighters. And I can only assume that you're right. It's because it's a cartoon. Because when I play X-Men Children of the Atom, I would never in a month of Sundays with any chemical alteration to my psyche go, yeah, Tournament Fighter and X-Men Children of the Atom, they're similar. They're the same thing, aren't they? Because Tournament Fighters is a pretty poor Street Fighter clone, whereas Children of the Atom is an evolution of Street Fighter. Absolutely, and an evolution of Darkstalkers as well, and Vampire Saviour and all that jazz. All that kind of gubbins, and I, and I absolutely love it for it. And yeah, this does start a very, very good relationship. Not, I mean, Capcom and, and, Mar- Capcom and Marvel have always had this relationship. This starts the, the 2D fighting relationship that lasts for years and years and years and years and years. 89%. Surprised it didn't break the 90% barrier, but still, I, I reckon it's because it's 2D. That's why That's it didn't break the 90%. Well. 100%. Had this been a 3D game, it would have broken into the 90 category, even if it wasn't as good. I think it would have broken into the 90 category just because it's brand new in 3D. Well, that's part one over, but part two is more packed than a fat bloke sandwich. So we're going to go to our last commercial break of the series. And remember, this is the final chance you'll have to say, oh my God, aren't these adverts fantastic? Keep your head above water. Take a deep breath. I know you're scared, but I'll stay with you. It's for you. Thank you. One boy. Stay with us as Dr. Doug Ross struggles to save the life of this child. He's still cursed little bit. One girl. Double the emergency. Turn off the camera. ER, Wednesday at 10 on Channel 4. The FX performer from Wilkinson Sword. A new razor that combines three different parts which flex to follow your individual features for a close shave that's now so comfortable, shaving becomes a pleasure. The new FX Performer from Wilkinson Sword. Nick Leeson brought down one of the world's great banks. The big cheesy said there was 40 million pounds of raw money in bearings. If I was only down 40 million, I'd be laughing. Now, in his book Rogue Trader, serialized exclusively in the Daily Mail, he tells his own story. When I started on the trading floor, I could smell the money. How hiding the losses was easy. Bearings just wanted to believe it. Believe they were rich. Read of the greed, the arrogance, and the broken dreams that broke the bank at Bearings. Starting tomorrow, only in the Daily Mail. The latest mortgages, share prices, tourist rates, advice, and more on the Information Channel. Exclusively on ITV and Channel 4. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Next Sunday at 7, a very different sort of mystery as Tunnel 4 sets out for Loch Ness. Can it be persuaded to give up its secret and reveal the monster, which some maintain is lurking deep in its icy waters? Springtime has come early at Renault. Spring into action before the end of February and you can enjoy 0% finance over two years on selected Renault Clios. But the offer must end on February the 29th, so don't delay. Pay a visit to your Renault dealer now. We're looking forward to seeing you. The Cuban Missile Crisis and the one man who exploited it. The country is on red alert. People are already scared. Exactly. What a perfect time to open a new horror movie. They're gonna bomb us? These are a little surprised for the audience. Feel that. See what he's putting back? The showmanship. John Goodman is the king of B-movie horror in Matinee tonight at 8.30 on 4. of the series. It's a sad occasion. So amidst near tragic torrents of tears, let's go over to Games Master for the final challenge. Since this is our final challenge, I have come up with something a little special. The awesome arcade driving game, Rave Racer. Players have two laps to burn the rubber as they speed their way around the mountain track. As usual, with two-player driving games, We'll be swapping between the viewpoints of each contestant to keep up with the action, which I expect to be fast and furious. Right then, let's hit the gas. Now, I know we're covering Games Master in a very condensed period of time. You know, we're not getting the long trenches between seasons. But fuck me, we've gone from Ridge Racer to Ridge Racer 2 to Rave Racer in a very short space of time because this is now the third game because we've got Ridge Racer, then Ridge Racer 2 in the arcades, then Rage Racer at home, and now Rave Racer, which is technically Ridge Racer 3, which is in the arcades but never actually gets released at home. Uh, yeah, and it is like, you know, it's, it's amazing how quickly things did move when you kind of think that there was massive gaps of time. Like, I was thinking about this at the start of this episode when they were talking about Killer Instinct 2. And I'm like, we've only just had Killer Instinct. And actually, the same with Mortal Kombat. Like, you know, we were talking about Mortal Kombat 3 earlier at the start of Series 5. That was the new big release. And then there was a news item halfway through the series. It's like, yeah, by the way, Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3 is on the way. It does give me pause for thought because, you know, it's a fairly common thing of like, oh, annual editions of games. Oh, another FIFA, another, another WWE 2K, another Call of Duty. It's not a new thing, is it, really? Not really, no. I mean, like, I mean, you mentioned there FIFA. 
we've had FIFA since Series 3. We've had new releases of it every single year. And yeah, you mentioned that like with all the Ridge Racer type stuff and its various iterations. It's just once something is successful, you keep doing that thing. Yeah, you know, as long as the cash cow has milk, you keep on going with hand gestures. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think this is a, a, a fun challenge is this a fun challenge to end off the series like we were talking about this before we recorded the first part of this which is that i kind of wish they had switched these challenges around we could have ended on quest for fame and had a real that sort of like final day of school atmosphere because this is just a standard challenge this doesn't really feel like the big end of school vibe that i the the first challenge kind of gave us yeah i i as, as you said, we talked about this off mic. I would have flipped the challenges round. I would have gone news, intro to this challenge, reviews, the challenge, then the feature, then ended with Iron Maiden Guitar Virtuoso. And do you know what? Maybe even end um, with him actually playing real guitar as Dom and the Angels leave. That, yeah. that could have been a real kind of... Back in the days before, you know, Top Gear went through what Top Gear went through, I remember the episode where Slash was on it and he stood atop one of the guitars in the studio at the end of the show and played the Allman Brothers band Jessica over the end titles. And I was just thinking about this episode and just going, that's what it could have done with. It could have done with a little bit of, like, guitar legend. You've got the guy on there and at no point... Do you actually put a real guitar in his hands? What we instead end with here is just a pretty bog standard challenge. A good challenge. It's a very nice and tight challenge. It's, you know, it's, it's a very good arcade challenge we've got here. More Derek Lynch, which is always great. But it's not the it's it's not one that anyone's gonna particularly remember. And we've kind of talked about this before with Games Master. This is a period of time of TV where the series finale wasn't really a thing. It was just the last episode of a run. Whereas, like, it doesn't have that big celebratory feel. It would look back to what Series 2 had. And, yeah, I, I kind of wish they had switched these rounds because I think it would have been a really awesome way to end off the show. Not that this is a bad challenge. This is a good challenge. Uh, and it's a good game. It's just that it's not the big exclamation point to Series 5. They could have made it a big exclamation point, even by sticking with this challenge, because like Rave Racer did have some new features to it. It could do the full Daytona. You could have up to eight people playing this. Can you imagine if they'd got four of the double cabinets in that studio? There I mean, was one, never have... enough set. There was never enough space on that set. Or even just two, so it was a four-player race. That would have been something. It would have been something that they've not really done before. But yeah, so we just get the two-player, which we've had multiple times this uh, series, a two-player racer. Uh, just worth noticing on Rave Racer itself, it's got a couple of new tracks. You can also play the original two tracks. Oh, a new soundtrack as well. But it is, like they said, of Rage Racer, it's more of the same. Yeah, you know, like we, we had with Ridge Racer Revolution back in a, a while, but it's like, if you're a massive fan of the series, 100% dive in, knock yourself out and get it. But like, and it's good if you haven't got the original version, but it is, 
if you like the previous one, you'll also like this one. Yeah, and also just realised I've been saying Rage Racer. I do, of course, mean Ridge Racer Revolution. Rage Racer comes out at the end of this year. Yeah, well, we're going to leave space for more of these games. But it's also the divergence because you had Ridge Racer, Ridge Racer 2, Rave Racer in the arcade. And then at home you had Ridge Racer, Ridge Racer Revolution and then Rage Racer. And they they really kind of splintered off and went in different directions. It's an interesting series. I'll be honest, I don't think any of them have ever captured my imagination as much as the first two. I think that's actually similar with Games Master itself. If you look back to like, you know, the coverage that Ridge Racer got when it hit the arcades and hit the PlayStation in Series 4 compared to what Ridge Racer Revolution and Rave Racer gets here in Series 5 just one series later. And here to burn rubber like there's no tomorrow, and bearing in mind this is our last show for Channel 4 anyway, there is no televisual tomorrow, please welcome Amar Ashraf and Cecil Dyer. Uh, now, Amar, uh, you're obviously quite a big bloke, I'm not going to yeah. take too much mick uh, out of you. You study fashion. That's right. And uh, so give me a quick appraisal. Well, it's not bad, it's a bit bland. Bland, you reckon? Yeah. I prefer the word classic. No, just about. Nice cut, tapered, tapered legs in the bottom. It shows That's off okay. those skinny legs with yours, yeah. Does it? Yeah. <laughs> All right, fine. Uh, I think I might give you a kick, actually, if you're not careful. Hey, <laughs> man, not that fancy my chances much, of course, to be honest. I am bald and wear glasses. He is large and muscle-bound. Uh, Cecil, now, yeah. uh, you don't study fashion, obviously, <laughs> no. uh, but you do cook. Yeah, I do. Uh-huh. What well, kind of stuff do you cook? Caribbean dishes, English dishes, uh-huh. and if you want, really. Do you eat quite a lot, then? Yeah, quite a bit, as you can see from the stomach. Oh, it's not for me to say. say so. And you cut hair? Yeah, I can cut hair as well. Do you cut your own hair? I just wonder whether you maybe hid it deliberately. <laughs> no, no, no I don't something. cut my own hair. I didn't cut yours either, don't you? Do you like my hair? Yeah, it's very good. Yeah? Could you do anything different with it, do you think? Um, just a little bit here and there. A little bit of hair here and there would be yeah. fantastic, actually. Put it around the <laughs> temples. It the air Jordan. Amir is a big bloke. Like, he is coming here with his lovely little tank top, showing off his guns. This. I mean, the sun is out in uh, in the world of heaven that they are in, so he is wearing the correct attire here. He's so big that Dom's not even going to take the mick out of him. Especially as he's studying fashion, and you can just imagine, that's a real kind of like taunting flag to Dom. And he's like, but you're a big fucker, I best take it easy. Can't take the mick out of his hair either. No, no, just, just, just leave it where it be. And Dom thinks, oh well, we'll play along. What do you think of my fashion choices? And in a word, bland. Could have said pants. Could have said. I, I then Dom would have had something to go after him for because it's like, hey, 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 that's my gimmick. But no, he thinks bland. Dom prefers the word classic, and Amir does say, oh well, it does show off your skinny legs. <laughs> they are having a bit of a laugh with this, which I, I do like. You know, this is better than what we had last week with our quite mute player. Um, it's the same actually with um, Cecil. You know, we're talking about. He's actually, uh, he's not studying fashion, but he does like to cook and the styles that he likes to cook and things like that. Uh, And they have that amazing line at the end where it's like, oh, I cut hair. I didn't do yours. I just, you know, I don't cut my own either. I just do here and there. And Dom says, I could do with some hair here and there. I was like, oh, this is good. Lovely wordplay here, Dom. Yeah, nice bit of banter. But also I was just looking at Cecil going, he cooks multiple cuisines. He cuts hair. He's a modern renaissance man. He even dabbles in philosophy later. As I said, Mr Lynch, fine employee of Funland. Just help me out with this one. OK, Derek, give us some tips. 
OK, the trick here is to get in the opponent's slipstream right up behind the car if to gain you're speed. If you're behind, yeah. That's right, if you're behind. Mm -hmm. And then you go on the inside lane and perhaps knock them out of control. So that's it. It's that inside lane that's going to be important that's if you're behind. Right, yeah. OK, thanks so much, Derek. And of course, it's an arcade game, which means it came from Derek Lynch and Funland. Lovely to have him back one more time in the booth. Don't worry, folks, if you are worried that we're not going to get any more Derek Lynch. He is back for Series 6, and, and wonderfully so. And whilst this is, I guess, a fairly standard challenge, the advice from Derek is fairly standard for a racing game. Keep in the slipstream. That's how you want to catch up with the car. You keep in the frame of the car in front, and then on the corners, you cut, you overtake. That's the way to do it. It's the same in this game. It's the same in Daytona. It's, it's the same in pretty much any modern 3D racing game that you can play. It's all about manipulating that slipstream where you can. And it's whoever's in the lead at the end of the second lap, which looks like it's going to be Cecil from the get-go because he is way better right off the start, out the gates. He seems to be the much better player at this. And like, this game is really smooth but it's also very very fast and you can see these guys like not struggling to get to grips with it but are like almost almost taken aback by how quick and fast this is yeah i i enjoyed the challenge neither of these guys were terrible at it it certainly wasn't a uh, another biking exercise like we had with mr motivator and gringo where they're essentially ricocheting their way around the tracks but it wasn't the smoothest gameplay i did appreciate how there was a lot of very tense quick back and forth and there was a whole section where the first second place was really really chopping and changing and another bit where cecil just fell off the track i love that was actually my favorite bit of this because this game has multiple tracks within a track. So he goes off the track and finds himself on a much lower level. And like, you know, Derek Lynch is like, uh oh, he's now got to try and catch up. He won't he will lose some time going on this. He won't lose uh, too much time, but it does mean that he is gonna have to make something up. And he was already in second place by that point. So he now has got a much bigger task on his hand to try and catch up. He does catch up to within sight of Amar fairly quickly. Um but it's not quite enough. He can't quite hold it on the corners. Also, there's a CPU car that is really cock-blocking him on his attempts to cut up the corners. And despite how well Cecil did right at the beginning, Amar holds on to it. He, he, he holds on to it just long enough to secure that victory on the second lap. It's a tightly fought contest. And I have to think if Cecil hadn't fallen off the main track, he would have taken it back. Yeah, I, I wrote in my notes here, he tried his best. It just wasn't enough on the day. And he, he did well. It's just, I, I think Omar just, he just edged it, really. Now, uh, Cecil, you had the lead earlier on, but you basically blew it, didn't you, mate? Oh, uh, yeah, I was running on BR time. I don't know what happened there, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was that one stage where you fell, uh, you fell off, didn't you? Tumbled down the lower screen. Yeah, I just didn't know what was going on there. Huh? No. Some you win, some you lose, eh? That, oh, I didn't realise you were a philosopher. Stuck <laughs> on your Cecil Sartre from now on, <laughs> won't we? Uh, OK, now, on to you, Amar. Was there ever any time where you thought that the, the challenge was in doubt? No, never. No? No. Always no. the best man wins. Uh-huh. I was the best man on the day. You certainly were, and, and you won. That's right. Some full of pocket philosophy from yourself yeah, as well. That's right. And like Cecil admits as much in the post-match interview, he blew it. Like, he sounds proper gutted that he didn't win this challenge I, I think he might have thought to himself it was a bit of a favorite going in yeah he, he says he doesn't know what happened maybe he was running on br time which i took to mean british rail time which you know still works today and he goes yeah don't know what happened win some lose some 
which is when Dom praises his philosophical nature. And Amal's not going to be left out by going, the best man always wins, and I was the best man on the day. Slightly braggy, but also quite philosophical. Philosophy mania running wild. My guess on this is that Cecil won all of the practice races. Like in the day, if they, you know, they go on to it, probably Cecil was like the better of the two players. And it, uh, which is why I think he looks so gutted here that he didn't win this one. And I was like, hey, you know what? The better man won on the day, and I was the better man. He won it when it, ca- he won when it counted. And with that, we have the winner of the final Games Master Golden Joystick of the series. And that would feel like the right point for this episode to end. But we are in the magazine show era. And so, no, we end on an almost untitled feature. This is the California-Nevada state border just outside of Las Vegas. Behind me, you can see Desperado, what's supposed to be the world's tallest, most frightening roller coaster. Am I scared? Yeah, right. See, absolutely nothing to be scared of. It may have the kind of drops, banks and twists that separate normal punters from their most recent meals, but my blasé attitude is the result not just of being incredibly hard, but the fact that every inch of this ride has been designed and tested by computer. Yeah, this is um, this is a weird way to end the series. Like, I, I, I get it in a way because it's, you know, the, the gag at the end of this is that it exposes that Dom is not as hard as he has made out this entire series. I, but it's also just a really it feels like when they were out in america filming some other stuff for like the windows 95 launch or, or you know going to the, the set of Mortal combat or anything like that that they were just like oh while we're here we'll just go to this um we'll, we'll just go to this theme park in las vegas and we'll go and film something on that uh that new roller coaster shall we yeah well film that that'll be a bit of fun and then they do that and they were like i guess we'll put it in the final episodes I mean, don't get me wrong, it's a really fun-looking roller coaster, the Desperado. As of 96, it was uh, listed as the world's tallest roller coaster. And interestingly, it was neck and neck with the Pepsi Max big one at Blackpool Pleasure Beach that also opened the same year. And the real linking material between the two is both of them were designed by the same company, Aerodynamics, who we kind of see a little bit of here because Dominic's like, this is a massively terrifying structure that would make most people shit their kecks. However, it's been designed by computers, therefore I trust it. That was the thing that piqued my interest in this, which was I, uh, in 1994, I actually wondered when it opened. So this opened in 94, didn't it? This did open in 1994, yeah. Yeah, so 1994 was when I went on the Pepsi Max big one in Blackpool Pleasure Beach because we used to go to Blackpool quite a lot uh, in my youth. And I remember going on the big one with my brother. And it, at that point, it was like the only roller coaster I'd ever been on. And was very proud to say, you know, it was like, you know, the largest in Europe. I think it was at the time. I think it might still be. And I have crowed on a lot about how much I really enjoyed the Pepsi Max big one, um, which later just became the big one after it lost the Pepsi branding. And when I was, you know, just doing my research into the, the Desperado, once that came up, I just sacked off all of the Desperado stuff and I was just reading up about the Pepsi Max big one and I'm like, this is a fucking brilliant roller coaster. One of the things I loved about the design process that we see is a lot of time when you see these kind of design processes of like, oh, men working industry, things happening with computers. It feels very staged. It feels very much of like this has been set up to be filmed for a documentary or a bit of a blurb. 
state of this workshop, I was watching it and going, now these are the people that actually designed this because yeah. there's paper everywhere. There's a kind of a slightly knackered boombox at a wonky angle. There's kind of fast food containers just barely out of shot. And I'm like, no, these are the real guys. These are the guys that actually make this happen. And we get to see them in their real natural habitat, not just in the, you know, the stuff that's around them, but also like, you know, you do some calculations, you press enter, and then you sit back and you wait for the computer to compute the things. And then it comes back and gives you an answer. And then maybe I'll make some adjustments. And then I press enter, I sit back, and I wait for the wait for the computer to do its computing things. And we essentially get to see a lot of that going on here. It's not dramatized, it's not blown up to make it look any bigger than it really is. It literally is one lad in a computer room typing in some numbers and sitting back. And as we said, this opened in 1994, same year as the Pepsi Max plunge, the big one or whatever you want to call it. And it was still running as of 2019. However, even pre-COVID, it closed down and has not reopened. Interestingly, maintenance work still seems to take place on it. It is still being maintained and managed and apparently empty cars, I think, still run around it every so often but it is not open for the public, despite despite still being present at the Buffalo Bill Hotel and Casino, which is still, you know, running to the best of my knowledge. But what an odd thing to have a roller coaster that you continue to maintain, but don't open. It feels like there's a story there. I, I think they've had a curse placed upon them where the roller coaster has to run at a certain time every single day. Otherwise, I don't know, Las Vegas will fall into a hole. Some would argue it did that many, many years ago. <laughs> you ever been to Vegas? Uh, yeah, I have, actually. I went once. It is an experience. It's hot there, mate. It's it's quite warm in Vegas. Oh, it is. Uh, my, my biggest memory of the heat in Vegas is I arrived quite late, went straight from the airport into an air-conditioned car to the hotel. Like, essentially, with the kind of the kind of all-pervading presence of air conditioning, even when I was outside initially, I was kind of like still within the catch area of the car and the lobby kind of like foyer of the hotel. And I went and I got showered and I got changed and I freshened up a bit and I maybe lay down for a bit and then headed out onto the strip at 10 o'clock at night. And I could not believe how goddamn hot it was at 10 o'clock at night. It's insane. I just felt the sweat just kind of suddenly, I immediately just went, shump. Just like suddenly every pore in my body went, sweat. It was crazy. And I'll be honest, I, I had kind of a, you know, a fun time, as it were. I got to see some shows, went to see Penn & Teller, got to see Cirque du Soleil, love the Beatles show. That was really cool. Uh, a couple of other magic shows and things like that. And yeah, it was a good enough time. I would consider going back there again if there was an event going on that I wanted to attend. That's that's what will take me back to Vegas, yeah. But not just for a holiday. Like an AEW pay-per-view, that might take me back to Vegas. Or a big entertainment show or an expo or something like that. But Yeah, I would like to go to Vegas when I've actually got a bit of cash on me because when I went uh, my on my flight there, I bought lunch at the airport. And I hadn't I, the audacity to not tell my bank that I was going on a holiday because I, I didn't really go on holiday a lot. So I didn't know there's something you had to do. And so when my card was used at an airport, my bank 
immediately thought it had been stolen. And so they cancelled my card. So when I then got to uh, Vegas and I tried to use my card, it kept getting declined. And I didn't know that, that, that HSBC had done that. I didn't know that was the process that they went through. So I just assumed I couldn't use my card o- overseas. So all I had on me was like $90 I had in cash, $100 I had in cash, and I had to put down like 75 bucks behind the uh, reception to cover like any sort of like damages or expenses or anything like that. So I had basically $25 to my name to last me five days. How? How? I mean, I just genuinely, how did you live for $25 on, on $25 for five days in Vegas? Well, luckily, I was there on a work trip. Like I w- I'd been hired by a company to sort of like provide tech support for, a, for an app that I was you know, I developed for them. And so they fed me like they it was a conference thing. So there was just like a food spread on. So that was basically how I ate. And then until my final day and I checked out and they gave me back the 75 bucks that was behind the counter. And then I basically had a very fun few hours in Vegas where I went to got a big buffet and had a couple of bevs before I got on the plane rides. Oh, the buffets are insane. I, I just the, the I think I went to the World Buffet, and it's the one where you've just got all the different stations around the outside, and it's not even just a case of oh, there's just containers. It's where you could go to one, and you could go oh, I'll have a steak, please, and they were like cool, come back in a few minutes, and then you could go on and get something else while you're waiting for that, and oh, that was that was good. I also just remembered I got to see and meet uh, Richard Cheese. And lounge oh, against yes, the machine. We did talk about that before, didn't we? We were talking about on the DuckTales episode for UCP Extra. Yeah, that was that was cool. That was a fun, fun gig. Uh, I actually drank way too much at that gig because it was in a margarita lounge. And guess what they served? Four Gs of pressure. Speeds of up to 95 miles an hour and a 295-foot drop that I'm just coming up to. This is why, A... I'm not wearing my glasses because I'd rather they weren't welded to my face by the time I got off. And B, I have not had any breakfast. I would just like to say at this point, Mum, I love you. Ah! Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! No! Jesus! No! Oh God! This is not funny. Oh God! <laughs> no! No! Okay. Ah! Ah. Ah. It's okay. I think I'm past the worst. I think I'm past the worst. I hope the camera's worked. I hope the camera's worked because I'm not doing this again. No way. Well, let's hope that Dom uh, didn't have too big of a buffet when he did this roller coaster because you can see on his face. He is very, very worried as this is starting its climb. Because this is, you know, a heck of a drop. As Dom tells you, like here, this goes from, this goes up to 95 miles an hour with a 200 foot drop. It's, it's fast and it's long. And he has just got this literal, figurative and literal creeping dread in his voice as he starts his ascent. And he's short selling it as well, because technically it is like 209 feet tall, but because it goes below the ground level slightly, the drop is actually 225 feet. There's an extra 15, 16 feet there he's not accounting for. Probably best he didn't know that because, yeah, he left his glasses at home. He also left his breakfast at home because as much as it would probably amuse us, he did not want to boke 
on camera. The bit that made me laugh the most about this is, you know, him screaming going around is very, very funny or everything. It's the bit at the end when you just hear the real Dominic Diamond that says, well, I hope the cameras work because I'm not doing that again. Yeah, I, I, I was disappointed we didn't see more of the actual kind of like run around from his like kind of like the Dom cam. And I can only assume it's because he did swear a lot. And yeah, we just got the bits where he didn't swear. This isn't the last time we'll see Dom on a roller coaster either. I think it's in next series. He goes on the Jurassic Park ride in Universal Studios. That's not a roller. I mean, I love the Jurassic Park ride. It's not a roller coaster. It's a log flume with dinosaurs, which makes it a superior log flume. Way better than the one at Disney World. And that's actually a really good one. And so, with my utter hardness proven once more in front of millions of viewers, I walked off into the horizon, hoping the baking desert sun would dry my pants before I hit the next town. But I do really like this kind of parting shot we get, particularly the tumbleweeds being thrown past the camera and Dom just walking off into the desert, his jacket thrown over his shoulder. It's a really cool-looking shot, only slightly marred by Dom going, and yeah, I pissed myself. Yeah, hope that my pants dry before before I hit the next town. And sadly, that's it for this fine series. Heaven's been fun, but God's now getting on our case, and me and the girls are off for darker climbs. Over the past few months, I hope you think we've had some laughter, we've had some tears, but most importantly, we've proved that playing video games is the best thing you can do in your spare time. Well, almost. And then we get our little outro here. You know, it's about heaven's been fun, but God's on their case. So they're off for darker times. Not quite darker times because they're just heading to Atlantis for the the next series. And, you know, he ends on his big parting lines here of playing video games is the best thing to do in your spare time, but it's not as good as having sex with women. Cheeky look at the camera. And then the Games Master appears and wishes us goodbye. And there is a real sense of farewell. Goodbye, one and all. Goodbye. Because something that I wanted to mention that we had at the beginning of the last challenge is Dom does say, you know, it's the last challenge of the series. You know, the the end times are here. That you know, and actually just says, you know, this will be the last show on Channel Four anyway. And I'm just like, excuse me, baking yeah. soda, and also. Previously, the Games Master has often gone, you know, we'll meet again or until the next time. But here, he just says goodbye. Going by what they do in Series 7, I wonder if they had an inkling that there was going to be another series here. Otherwise, they might have done the big deconstructing set and just done another clip show. But uh, yeah, it does feel like a, a very nice goodbye. An actual definitive goodbye, as opposed to we'll see you down the road. I'm looking forward to seeing what was happening in the book, because the book is getting closer and closer. And if if this was season six, I would say, absolutely, that makes sense going by everything that we know. But this is series five. We still have a long series ahead of us before we get to the short series of series seven, which was kind of a contractual obligation. And we'll be there soon enough as well. Like not only just in our personal timeline, but by the you know middle of the year, we'll be back in, we'll be back in Games Master World. Yeah. And we get the end credits, and I did like the little note at the end, which said, available for Panto above Johnny Finch and Steve Wright's names. That was my favourite thing. I was waiting for, like, you know, what is our end gag here? And it comes up with Johnny Finch and Steve Wright's now available for Panto. And the series ends, just as it started, with a baby crying. 
that was weird. Yeah, I I think my only guess is it's a callback to the first episode, or being born. And like the show has been called Born Again, so yes, maybe it's just you know it's it's a nod to that. Maybe the original idea they had for any Games Master going forwards is Dom would have actually been reincarnated, having died and gone to heaven. Yeah, as as we find out when we get to the next series, he's just been thrown out of heaven and falls into Atlantis. It's a great title sequence, even if it did almost kill him. (laughs) But that's going to do it for this episode, the final episode of Series 5. Ash, what did you make of it? It's not quite ending on a high, but it's not far off. If we break it down, the news is the news, and whilst there's a lot of games in it that we've seen before, we do get a look at Killer Instinct 2, we do get a bit more detailed look at Soul Edge. We do get a nice meaty look at Fighting Vipers and Manx TT Superbike. And then we get on to the challenge, the first challenge. Harry broke quota up to 11, send in the axe man with Janet Gers from Iron Maiden. And that is a real high point challenge. Then we get to the reviews and Assault Rigs. Yeah. It is what it is. Very cool to see X-Men Children of the Atom on the Sega Saturn. And I think... I would have placed it slightly higher, but a very respectable review. The final challenge is fine. Totally fine. It's absolutely, it's not bad. I mean, that is a real positive. I say it's fine. Fine is still good. I didn't leave that challenge going, well, those people didn't know what they were doing. We've had far worse challenges on this series. And the final feature, whilst a little out of left field, and arguably I might have put it elsewhere in the episode was actually a pretty fun feature we've had worse again this series we've had a lot worse uh the second lawnmower man 2 feature that was worse than this this at least did something different and we got to see dominic on a roller coaster yeah i for me this is an episode that is very much saved by that first challenge and to a degree that final feature because it is a lot of fun like it's i i don't think it belongs at the end of series five but it is a very very fun feature it was supposed to be like just a holdover, like the last thing that they had that they haven't used before. Ah, oh, we'll just slap that there. But that first challenge is is a heck of a lot of fun, and actually the second challenge is fun as well. Like it is, it's a decent enough challenge. It's just it's not as good as the first challenge was, which then sort of makes it look not as good. When it comes to a score, though, I am I'm low eighties, I think, on this one, um, and it really is all around that first challenge. I think that first challenge is just like one of my favorite things in this series overall. So I'm kind of looking at about 83%, I think, for this final episode. See, this, I think, is a, probably going to be the biggest difference in our episode scores in quite a while. Because I was I was at 91. Wow! That's a near 10% difference between the two of us. It, it doesn't happen often, but I genuinely think this episode does cross over into the essential viewing for a number of reasons, one of which the feature. It's quite short, but it's very fun, and it's an interesting little divergence, something we haven't seen before. Uh, The Rockstar Challenge. Never had anything like it before. We'll never have anything really like it again on Games Master. And also, it's kind of at the start of the rhythm game genre. Definitely worth checking out, something that would go on to much bigger and better things before also then disappearing into obscurity. So, so no, I... Yeah, I will, I will still stand by it because I genuinely think this is uh, definitely a better episode to watch than the last episode. Uh, I think the only thing that I would do differently is I would have kept everything content-wise and just mixed up the order a bit. I would have started with the news. 
then the intro and the first bit and the game introduction for the Ridge Racer, for the Rave Racer challenge, then have the reviews, then the challenge itself, then the ad break, because I think the timing would have worked out around the same. Then you come back, you have Dom shitting his kecks, then you introduce, you build up. You're just like, it's our last day in heaven, so we've got a guitar god. And boom, that's how you close out the show. And I, and I think that is a much, much better landscape for this episode. Uh, I think I still would have had the same percentage score, though. That uh, was going to be I, my question, is if you'd, yeah. gone, if you'd gone with my fan edit, would it have changed your opinion of the episode? No, because I think like as an overall thing, and that is, that is kind of where I'm coming at it, and much in the same way as Games Master Magazine, you have four categories that you're given percentages and then you do like a big sort of overall score that is kind of what i've got one of those challenges got a really high score the other one not so quite high the reviews also not quite so high feature not quite so high and it sort of that drags everything down to that 80 i think 83 percent score i said see i just think we're just going to prove why you don't understand the general manager mode in wwe 2k22 because you've got to build that graph luke you've got to follow that curve it's better if I don't get good at it. But that's going to wrap it up for this episode and this series. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule. Next week, it is our series wrap-up episode, which we're very much looking forward to diving into. A lot to say about Series 5, and we will have your feedback as well. And if you want to get in touch with us, we are on social media, on Twitter at underconsolepod, on Instagram at under.console, and you can send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com. And if you want to interact with us in real time, if you want to talk with us, with other listeners, with other the fans of retro gaming and pop culture in general you can do so over on our discord and if you want to support this podcast monetarily you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod where you'll get access to ucp extra this show format but about other shows from the 80s and 90s as well as our monthly community show under console nation and if your back is at the five pound level you will get next week's episode one week early and ad free at the 10 pound level get a little bit extra ash what do they get at the 10 pound level they get our spangly under consultation joystick waggle and mug stuffed with stickers badges retro sweeties retro trading cards all that posted straight to your door and a shout out to those 10 pound backers xanderthal william tom the amazing clift simon sean sarah aka pink lithium richard reese nick misha matty boo mark link Kevin, Jamie, Ian, Harriet, Manga Girl, Gordon Dempster, Gordon Brance, David Palmer, David Fisher, Darkside73, Chrissy Tuesdicks, Beat the Games Master, Arcadia Wild Bill, Andy, Andrew, and Adam D. Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you next week for the wrap-up episode of Series 5. Take care, everyone. Good night. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com 
Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.